You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. If you are a parent, you have no doubt heard this phrase coming from the backseat of the car on a trip. Are we there yet? And my kids ask this even when we're not on a long trip. They will ask, are we there yet? I mean, going to Holiday World, 40 minutes away, they'll ask multiple times, are we there yet? Uh, headed to Nashville one time to, to see my sister. I remember they asked it nonstop, are we there yet? And what I always like to say is, yeah, actually, we did get there, but we're just driving in circles because I thought you guys wanted to be in the car. Like, when we get there, you'll know because we will get out of the car and we will be there. Uh, that question is one that kids ask all the time. But what I've found is that as adults, we ask that question all the time too. Because we constantly feel like there is some next level that once we get there, once we achieve that goal, once we get that thing, that then we'll be satisfied. Then we'll be happy. If we accomplish enough, have a great enough experience that once we achieve that, we'll be happy. And so maybe we say things like, well, once I lose 20 pounds, then I'll be satisfied. Or... Once I get a better car or get a newer car, I'll be happy. Or once I find my soulmate, then I'll be satisfied and life will be great. Or once I get that dream job or if I finally get that promotion or once I get my revenge or once I prove them wrong, then I'll be satisfied. The truth is that we get to those points. We get that job. We get that car. We get the kids. Some of you said, man, once we have kids, then life will be awesome. And then you're like, once the kids move out of the house, life will be awesome. But you make those stages. You, you have a family, or your family moves out, or whatever it is that you've been looking towards, you get there, and you're still not completely happy and satisfied. And we are constantly saying, am I there yet? Am I getting close? Am I, am I almost there? And I played a variation of this often when I was running regularly a few years ago. I would start running and I would have a goal that I was trying to get to and I had a tracker that would let me know how far I'd gone and, and I would just so tempted to constantly look at my watch and see if I'd make it. So I would say, I'm not going to look at my watch for the first mile and a half. I'm not going to look at my watch for the first mile and a half. And then I'd be like, all right, I've definitely run more than a mile and a half. I'd look at my watch and I'd gone like three-tenths of a mile. And I'm like, oh no, this is awful. I've got so much further to go. Maybe you've done that same thing at work. You're like, I'm not going to look at the clock until it's time for break. I'm not going to look at the clock. Okay, it's got to be almost lunchtime. And then you look at the clock and it's only 9.45. You're like, oh no. What we do in life is we're constantly saying, even as adults, am I almost there yet? Am I almost to that thing that's going to make me happy? Am I almost to that place where I can finally rest easy, or I can finally coast, or I'll finally be satisfied? And I want to show you that Solomon, who went further than anybody could have ever imagined, that even though he went further than anybody else, he was still constantly asking, am I there yet? You see, Solomon's the writer of Ecclesiastes, and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes from a place of personal experience. Solomon was the richest man in the world. And I don't mean just like he, was, he nudged out second place. He was far and away the richest man in the world. Solomon had so much money that he personally devalued the worth of silver. He had so much silver, and he made it so prevalent that it was like not even worth anything anymore. Solomon had so much power that he took the nation of Israel from being kind of this second-class nation, not really heard of, lower tier, to becoming a powerful nation, so much so that other politicians and leaders came to talk to Solomon and find out how he had made his nation so powerful. Solomon didn't hold himself back from anything. 
In fact, when he came to women, he didn't say no to any woman. He married 700 women and he had 300 concubines, which are like official mistresses. Now guys, that means that Solomon every day of the year had three birthdays and two anniversaries to keep up with every day. His life was complicated, but he had never said no. He had always said yes to whatever it was that was out there. And what he found in the midst of all of this is that none of it was the answer. And we see him talking about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in verse 1. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth or partying. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity or meaningless. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what good doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water there with the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. His nation was so great, his palace was so great that his employment grew and grew to the point that he was having children of his employees become employees and it just grew and grew. Verse 8. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. He's basically saying I'm the greatest of all time here. Also my wisdom remained with me. Through all of this partying, through all of this excess, he never lost his wits. Verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion for all my labor. Solomon said, Whatever I wanted, I had it. No one could tell me no. But look down at verse 17. Because in verse 17, Solomon tells us what all this had gotten him. Verse 17 says, Therefore I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. There was no authority that was greater than Solomon. There was no one that could tell Solomon no. There was no one that could tell Solomon, sorry, you don't have enough money for that. There was no one that could say, I'm sorry, Solomon, you don't get to do that. You don't have that privilege. He got to go further in his search of it or in his search of there than anyone else ever before, and he did not find what he was looking for. And Solomon, in this passage, goes after the same progression that all of us do. And I want to point out this progression to you because I think that once you notice it, you'll see it again and again throughout all of life. He pursued the same pattern that you and I pursue when we're trying to find what is the thing that is missing. In the search for happiness, we pursue more, better, and then different. We pursue more, better, and then different. And what this looks like is when we first start out and we're searching, we say, I need more of this. I need more jeans. I need more shoes. And we have all of this stuff and we cram our house full of things and we cram our schedule full of things and we've got more, 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 and it's not good enough. And since it's not good enough, we say, instead of more, I need better. I'm going to get rid of this stuff and I'm going to get better stuff. And how many of you have ever looked at your house and said, where did all this junk come from? 
Why do I have all this junk? Because at one point you were like, I need more of it. I need more of it. And you brought more and more of it home. And then one day you said, this is junk. I'm going to sell this at a yard sale or I'm going to sell it on Craigslist. That way I can buy better stuff instead. I'm going to replace it with nicer things. Instead of having more jeans, I'm going to have designer jeans. Instead of having more shoes, I'm going to have name brand shoes. Instead of having two cars, I'm going to have a really nice car. I'm going to get the really luxury version. I'm going to get the one with that really nice leather and the heated seat and the heated steering wheel and all of that stuff. I mean, I'm going to get the better one. I'm going to get that. And we go from wanting more to wanting better. And then once we've got better and it still doesn't satisfy, we go to wanting different. And that's when we want the thing that's limited edition, that only certain people know about, that only certain people can get into that restaurant. Only certain people have this collector's item. So when we listen to music that you probably haven't even heard of, and we're into things that you can't even buy around here, you have to go to a special store, only find it online. And when we make that progression of wanting more stuff or wanting better stuff or wanting different stuff, what we find is that we go through that whole progression and still we're not satisfied. Notice what Solomon said in verse 8. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and provinces. Solomon says, I got the things that were peculiar that most people don't even know about. I had access to the exclusive stuff to the exclusive clubs. I got the things that only kings and the leaders of provinces can have. I got the things that were different that you probably never even heard about. You don't even know about. But they don't even sell it around here. And still, it was vanity. Still, he was searching for something. And by the way, I've noticed a new layer in our culture today. In our culture today, there's more, there's better, there's different. And then when that doesn't answer we start looking for someone to blame. Instead of saying, maybe the problem is with me and the search that I'm going on, we say, somebody must be hiding the secret from me. Somebody must be keeping me out of what will really make me happy. Somebody's oppressing me. Somebody's keeping me from enjoying the things that I really want. It's because of my parents. It's because of the system, man. It's because of the government. It's because of the schools. It's because of my job. They're oppressing me and keeping me from being able to enjoy my happiness. And when we can't find the secret to our happiness, we search for someone to blame for our unhappiness. And that's where Solomon is at in verse 17. He says, I hated life. You ever been around somebody that just hates life? Like, there's no satisfying them. They're, not, they're just on the warpath looking for someone to be mad at. Looking for someone to, to nudge them in the wrong way, to bump them so they can lose their cool on them. Because they'd rather be mad at someone else than figure out what's wrong with them why they're not satisfied and happy. Solomon said, I hated life. Not only had he found that none of this would truly satisfy, he got to the place where he was disgusted with it. Now remember, Solomon tells us that in the midst of this despair, in the midst of this emptiness, he still keeps his wits about him. He still has his wisdom. So he goes in the next chapter, in chapter 3, to this poem It's really beautiful. You've probably heard it read, maybe at a wedding or something like that. He says there's a time and a reason for everything. And in this passage, he says there's a time to dance and there's a time to to weep. There's a time to rejoice and a time to mourn. There's a time to fight and there's a time for peace. He's recognizing there's purpose in everything. And so in the midst of this great despair and this search, and in still holding on to his wisdom, he starts to understand some things about life that, that only in our wisdom and in our, in our older age, in our more experienced times, we begin to grasp. But he says something really important in chapter 3 and verse 11. He says in chapter 3, verse 11, 
He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world and their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to end. And in that passage he says, God has set the world in our hearts. And the the word that he uses there is for worlds or ages. Some of you in your modern translation, it might actually be that he has set eternity or infinity in their hearts. And what Solomon found out in his constant search for more, his constant search for better, his constant search for something else, he found that there was nothing that could fill the void in his heart because his heart was eternal. It was like a bottomless pit. When I was a kid and I was growing and I could eat everything and still be hungry, my mom would sometimes say I was a bottomless pit. It's like there was no bottom to my stomach. I could just keep putting food in there. And what Solomon figured out is that his heart was a bottomless pit. That there was no filling it up because it was made with eternity in mind. What Solomon figured out is that God made us for eternity And so because God made us for eternity, He made us with the capacity for a relationship with the eternal. He gave us a soul that differentiates us from everything else that was created. Because there is this this emptiness in our eternal hearts that was built for eternity, there is nothing on earth that can satisfy that want. There's nothing on earth that can fill our hearts because our hearts are a bottomless pit. Let me show you what I mean. How many of you had one of these when you were a a kid, you know, you have the little shapes you put in the bucket. Maybe your kids had them. Can I just tell you that this is really important, that more people should play with these, because there's clearly a total lack of understanding about space today. Because when I sold my junk on Craigslist so I could buy better stuff, people would show up to, like, buy a huge piece of equipment in a little car. They don't understand it won't fit. I had to help a guy load a mattress and box spring into a van, and his kids were all sitting in the van, and they all just kind of ducked down, and we slid it over. We sold a weight bench, and a guy showed up in a hatchback to carry this weight bench home. I am not kidding. I had a guy show up at our house. We were selling one of those rolling cabinet islands, and he wanted me to help him strap it to the top of his Ford Fiesta. And I was like, I'm just going to put it in my truck and drive it to your house, man. I don't want to do that. So that's not the reason I'm showing you this, but maybe play with this so you know what can fit in your car and what can't. What Solomon found, what Solomon found is that there was nothing that could fill his heart. And the truth is that all of us go through life and we treat life kind of like one of these toys from our preschool days. We think, what's missing, or the reason that I'm empty, the reason that I feel so hollow, is I just haven't found the right thing that fits in my heart. And we think, if I could just find the right thing, if I could just find the right person, if I could just find the right experience, then I'd be happy, I'd be satisfied. And we go through life searching for the right thing the right experience, the right job, the right person. And then we find it, and we find a place that it fits in our life, and we say, this is it. I'm going to start filling my life, and it's going to give me happiness and joy. And we plug it in, and what happens is that just as soon as we put it in, we still feel empty. Just as soon as we get that thing, we still feel like there's something missing. And we say, it just wasn't enough. I need more. I need more of it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more. I'm going to put in a lot more. If I just have enough, then I'll start to feel full and it doesn't work. We say, well, it wasn't more. Maybe it's, I need better. I need something that's just a little better. 
I mean, purple's red better, right? Well, I need something just a little bit better. If I can have the good stuff, then I'll be happy and I'll be satisfied. But even if we have more or better, it doesn't satisfy. So then we say, you know what? I think that I figured it out. I'm just a little different than most people. You know, a lot of people around here are basic, but I'm a star and I'm special. And I have just very special tastes, and I need the person that is just perfect for me, and I need the job that is my dream job, and I need to live in a place that is just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. If I can just get a hold of that thing that is so special that everybody else wants, if I can just get a hold of that thing that is, and we still feel empty. And some of you are here today because you've gone through this whole experience. You've gotten more. You've gotten your hands on better, and you've even gotten your hands on different, and you still feel empty. And you're here today at church because you think that maybe the thing that's missing is God. Maybe it's religion. Maybe you should try church. And you think, if I can just add church to everything else that I've got going on in my life, if I can squeeze in church on Sunday mornings right before going to see the game with my friends, and then right before I'm super ambitious at my job on Monday, and right before I'm a super mom on Tuesdays, and I'm a great basketball dad on Wednesdays, and then I party with my friends on Friday, if I can just fit all of that together and squeeze God, and maybe God in the midst of all of that will make me feel satisfied and full, and my heart won't be so empty. But if God is just something that you're trying to add on to your life, you will remain empty. If Christianity is something that you're just trying to tack onto your schedule, trying to add into the other varied things you're looking for happiness from in your life, you will remain unhappy. You will continue to be unfulfilled. Because the truth is, it doesn't matter how much we cram into our lives, There's a hole in the bottom of our hearts that makes us a bottomless pit. We were built for eternity. Our hearts were designed and constructed with the capacity for relationship with God. So how do you fill something that is bottomless? Well, Jesus tells us that the way for us to follow him is to die to self. And then he encouraged his disciples to be baptized, to identify with him. You see, the way that we fill something that is bottomless, something that's empty, and no matter how much we cram into it, it's not to plunge something else in. It's not to find something else to put in. It's not to find more or better or even different or to add God to the mix. The way for us to fill what is bottomless is to plunge it into something that is bigger than ourselves. And when we plunge ourselves into something that is bigger than us, we'll finally be filled. We'll finally be full. When we plunge ourselves into the love of God, into His infinite majesty, glory, and power, when we plunge ourselves into His grace, then we'll finally be full. And here at our church, when people are letting everyone know that they have plunged their life into Christ, that they have walked away from everything else and given themselves to Christ, they're baptized to show that they are dying to self. And what Jesus said, he said, if you want to be my follower, you must die to self. See, what Jesus was talking about was what Solomon figured out years ago. What Solomon figured out a thousand years before is what Jesus was speaking to. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, that they might be filled. And in our culture today, we don't have Solomons, but we have celebrities and we have 
basketball stars and athletes and people that we look to and say, man, they've got everything. They're famous and they drive whatever they want and they have it all. You know what they experience? They experience that they're still empty. A few years back, Jim Carrey, movie star from The Mask and all of these blockbuster hits, he said, I think that everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. Jim Carrey's a modern Solomon. He's had it all an experience that it still leaves him empty. And the way that we finally feel fulfillment is not finding the right combination or mixture or enough of stuff. It is to plunge ourselves into the infinite, matchless love and grace of God. And in Him, we're finally fulfilled. And our hearts are full. Jesus told the disciples, if you want to follow me, you must die to yourself. He actually said, you must take up your cross and follow me. It was a saying, I'm going to leave behind the things that I have been pursuing. I'm going to walk away from those things that I thought were going to give me happiness, and I'm going to find life in him. And you say, Pastor Daniel, that kind of sounds scary, dying to self. That sounds scary, taking up a cross. You know what's really scary? What's really scary is if we live here just constantly trying to cram more stuff into our lives and we constantly feel empty. I'm, I'm watching a friend of mine do this right now. I have a friend of mine who he's, he's gone through a trial in his marriage, someone that I care about, and I hate that he's going through this, but his Facebook feed is just a highlight reel of trying to find the next woman who is going to fill that longing, that desire, that void in his heart. And I just want to grab his shoulders and shake him and say, why do you think that this one's going to be any different? She's crazier than the last one, man. Like, why is this one going to be any different? How is this going to be the answer? And what's tragic is we go through life trying to find some other thing that we can stuff into our lives that will finally make us feel satisfied. And what happens is the more that we cram in and the less full that we feel, the greater capacity we have, the greater appetite we have, and we go further and we take greater risks and it gets more dangerous all the time. And not only is the next one more crazy than the last one, the next hit is even more dangerous than the one before it. Whereas you felt like some, some meaning or some substance was found on your third beer, now it's your eighth beer. Because it takes that many to feel numb to the emptiness inside now. And it gets more and more dangerous all of the time. And we become more ambitious. And so we start to cut corners We start to lie so that we can get the promotion. We start to fudge the numbers so that we can get the raise or the bonus. And that's scary. And the only thing that is scarier than dying to self is living for self. Because it never satisfies. And it leads us farther and farther down a dark road that will leave us empty and broken. And what happens is, as we've crammed all of these things into our lives and we still don't feel full, we start to wonder, what's wrong with me? What's my problem? We begin to feel ashamed of all the things that we've done to try to fill our hearts and our lives. And that's the shame that Derek was singing about earlier when we feel that we aren't good enough. And the truth is that the way that your heart was built, God built it that way so that you have the capacity for a relationship with Him. And that eternal hole in your heart is perfectly designed for Him to fill. 
for him to step into the void of your life and give you meaning and substance. The only way that you can fill an infinite heart is with an infinite God, with an eternal God. And when Jesus came, he not only told us the way that we experience this, his dying to self, he showed us how. Because he died on the cross and then rose from the dead three days later, and he showed us that in dying, there is life because of the power of God. And by dying on that cross, he took the sin and the shame for us. He took all of those wrong things that we've tried to cram into our hearts and lives. He took the punishment for those so that we can have that relationship with God and God can fill our hearts. You'll continue to search for meaning. You'll continue to be empty until you plunge yourself into the love and grace of God. Would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer?